Right, it's great to see you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Julian Gittings. I've been a member of this church for about two and a half years now. And it is my privilege and thrill to be able to share with you some thoughts as we continue in our series on the, the book of Acts. So uh, if I can just get this to work now. Uh, oh, there we go. Yeah. So today we are looking at Acts chapter 16. So if you've got a Bible on your phone or whatever or in front of you, uh, you might help to follow that. I always find it helpful, though, to sort of backtrack a little bit and um, look at the passage before, particularly of those people who weren't here last week. Uh, We're just going to summarize, rather than read it, just going to summarize the end of uh, chapter 15, uh, because it connects, obviously, with this passage here. So Paul and Barnabas have decided, wouldn't it be a good idea to go and visit some of the places that they've been before, some of the places that they've been to preach to before, and see how the new believers are getting along. Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? Until they decide who they want to accompany with them on their journey. Barnabas wants to take his cousin, John Mark, and um, Paul uh, is dead against it because John Mark left pretty much halfway through their last journey before. Uh, We don't know why, but it was probably that that put Paul off from taking him on the journey again. And Barnabas and Paul have a huge row. So much so that they they go their separate ways. Paul ends up taking Silas with him. And what started out as one missionary journey ends up as two. I think it's really, really good that the Bible doesn't omit things like this. It makes it kind of real, earthy, uh, based in human experience, that people fall out. Uh, And here it is in the pages of the Bible in black and white. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this uh, next chapter, 16, in little chunks. So we get a a really good grasp of of what's going on. Um, So we'll start with verses 1 to 10 first, first. Uh, oh, I'm reading from the NLT, so if you've got a slightly different version, uh, uh, that's probably why. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mycenae to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. It seems that Paul and Silas had a plan 
where they wanted to go. But the Holy Spirit had other ideas. He keeps preventing them from, oops, uh, from going here into this area as known as the province of Asia. And also from going northeast to this area here. He keeps sending them west. And they end up here in this place called Troas, a seaport. And it's here that Paul has his vision of the man from Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. Here, okay? Here's Athens. And this is modern-day Greece. A man from Macedonia asking for their help as they conclude that God wants them to go to Europe and spread the gospel there. I do a lot of driving with my job, and I hate it when the sat-nav seems to think that he knows a better way of going than I do. He seems to want to redirect me. Um, and I think, oh, don't be silly. It's not that way. Boy, it's not that way. That's ridiculous. And it keeps trying to redirect me, reroute me all the time. And it's attempts to take me off on a different route. And then I come across a huge traffic jam or another obstacle. And I think, should have listened. But that's no problem for Paul here. I'm sure he had a plan of where he was going to go. But the Holy Spirit seemed to reroute him. He had other ideas. Yet Paul is not only open to the guidance of the Spirit, he is obedient to his leading. New opportunities lay ahead of them, ones that they didn't expect, to a people they hadn't planned to go to. God was opening new opportunities for them. And if we are a church that is going to seize new opportunities, then we must be, first of all, people who are open to the Spirit and obey the voice of God when he speaks. And I think that means putting ourselves in a position, in a place where we don't just hear, but we truly listen. Sometimes our lives are so full of noise that we cannot be receptive to the still small voice of the Spirit. How can we know his leading and his guiding if our lives are so cluttered with every other distraction that we cannot hear? And if we cannot hear, how can we obey? Open yourself to the voice of God. It's time to turn off your phone. Not now, not, but if you're following on the Bible. Time to take out the earphones, to turn off the music, turn off the TV, whatever else it is that's distracting you. How can we know what new doors the Lord may be opening for us if we don't take time to truly be still and listen? It's clear that Paul's openness and obedience to the Holy Spirit to follow his guidance leads to a confirmation that this was the right place to go. And here was a new opportunity, a brand new city in a brand new continent, Europe. Let's get, let's get into the next section, 11 to 15. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. 
and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who would gather there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. You might realize now that the tense of the narrative has changed. It's gone from third person to first person. And we know these sections as the we passages. As the writer of Acts, which is Luke, has joined Paul and Silas on their journey. He's probably joined them here at Troas, caught a boat and has travelled across with them as they headed towards Macedonia. According to the book of Acts, Paul typically began a new mission in each new city by connecting with the local Jewish population. His mission in Philippi here was no exception. Paul and his team had probably been there for a few days, spent looking at the city, maybe trying to find work or accommodation, when on the Sabbath day they go outside the city gates in search of a Jewish place of prayer by river. Now, it seems that Philippi didn't have a recognized synagogue. Perhaps they didn't have enough Jewish men because it takes 10 Jewish men to form what's known as a quorum, so to establish a synagogue. But But what they did have was a prayer house. And like many places of worship, this prayer house was connected by a water source. Many synagogues and prayer houses were built near water sources to facilitate ritual washing. Now we read that the Holy Spirit was preparing for a way, for a new opportunity, for a specific person to come to know the Lord through a one-to-one personal conversation. And that person was Lydia. Now in verse 14, Luke gives us a lot of information about this lady. We're told her name, that she was a dealer in purple cloth. That means that she would have been a, a woman of some means. That she was originally from a city of Thyatira, and that she was a God worshipper. Now, considering Luke's descriptions of other people that Paul met on his journeys, we are given a large amount of information on Lydia. And as one commentator suggests... We are given this information because Luke uses her as an example of a significant woman. Women in the first century Roman world, like Lydia, were entering the public sphere in business as patrons, and they were impacted the early church in those roles as well. And Lydia is the only Philippian convert who was named in the book of Acts. And we know that the Philippian church met in her house. So she's most likely the person to have led and have cared for the first congregation in Europe, in Philippi. And it's interesting also in the book of Revelation in chapter 2 that there is a church mentioned in Thyra, Tyra. Could it be that Lydia went back home and took the gospel message with her 
and a church started there as a result. This story reminds me of another conversation with a woman, the one that Jesus had with a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Now, it was quite shocking in those days to talk to a woman, but a woman of the despised Samaritans? Why, hey. However, because of her one-to-one encounter with Jesus, the Samaritan woman went and told everybody in her village, and many people believed in Jesus as a result. These women played a pioneering role in spreading the gospel in their communities. You see, the New Testament is ahead of its time because it elevates the status of women, particularly in a strong male-dominated culture. The gospel breaks down these barriers. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, a, a child, whatever background you're from, God is interested in you. He's interested in your story. And as Paul later writes on to his letter to the Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. I wonder if Silas and Paul were sent on their journeys this way because God saw the hearts and heard the prayers of these women who were ready to put their trust in Jesus as Messiah and Lord. The Lord was creating new opportunities to share the good news with people like Lydia and others like her. And we need to pray not only for opportunities, but also as we speak to people and share our stories, that the Lord will open their hearts just like he did with Lydia. So here we have a successful businesswoman. In complete contrast now, Luke tells us about another woman trapped, it would seem, in slavery. A fortune teller who was demon-possessed, working for those who would make money from her. 16 to 24. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day, until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them then to the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Twice in the book of Acts we read that Paul's teachings had an impact on the economic well-being of Gentiles. You'll find the next one in Ephesus. And that resulted in persecution. But the main thing we have to realize here, that God's hand is behind all this. And God is preparing new opportunities that come despite opposition. 
Paul might have invoked the name of Jesus to get this girl off his back, but at least she is healed. God's purposes of freeing a trafficked human being is fulfilled. The slave girl in Philippi stands in complete contrast to Lydia. Lydia sells her purple cloth and enjoys the profits of her labor, whilst the slave girl is burdened and disturbed and her owners make themselves a profit. In a way, Lydia was in control of her destiny, while the slave girl was under the thumb of her owners. But both experience a profound freedom through the life-changing power of Jesus. Although we don't know what happened to the slave girl, at least she was free. At least she was free. And as we seek opportunities to share the good news, we will come across the Lydia's and we'll come across the trafficked girls of our world who might seem insignificant to other people but not to God. There are hundreds of trafficked women in our world. And maybe the Lord is putting it upon your heart to be involved and to stop this exploitation. And if the Lord lays it on your heart to be involved in this ministry, I would recommend organizations like Stop the Traffic, Hope for Justice, International Justice Mission, and others. Both the businesswoman and the woman trapped in modern slavery need to hear the good news. But sharing the gospel will not be without its opposition. But we will still see here that the church sees the opportunities despite the opposition. 25 to 40. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before him, and he he and his entire household rejoiced because they'd all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they've publicly beaten us without trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want to leave us, us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. 
both the liberation of the slave girl and the liberation of Paul and Silas from the prison both point to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in these situations. The whole situation in the prison is completely turned upside down. The ones in physical chains, Paul and Silas, are now able to deliver a message to set the jailer free from his own prison of sin. And these three accounts of salvation show how the gospel can reach into different areas and levels of society. And our job is to reach people, whoever they are, as the Lord opens the door of opportunity for us. And we may face opposition in all sorts of ways. But despite the opposition of rulers in this instance, being thrown into prison, facing physical punishment, God worked to create new opportunities for the church in Acts, and he'll do so for us. In his new book, The Reluctant Evangelist, author Richard Cokin writes, Evangelism, church planting, and cross-cultural mission are not optional minority sports for a few hardy zealots, but rather for all of us who follow the Lord Jesus and wish to see the good news change people's lives. The challenge that lies ahead of us is to find out from the Lord the new areas of opportunities that might come our way. For instance, going into residential and care nursing homes, reaching other specific groups of people in our community. Jesus went to where people were. He went to the rich. He went to the poor. He went to the religious. He went to those who were troubled in mind and spirit, and he calls us to do the same. So much of the time in our church, in church, we say, come, come, come to our meeting, come to our event, come and hear this great speaker, and so on. But what does Jesus command us to do? He commands us to go. Not come, but go. And some of us are called to start here in our Jerusalem, at home. Some of us in Samaria, a little bit further afield. Some of us to the ends of the earth. And maybe God is calling you to serve him overseas. Maybe you're a gap year student or just wondering, what does God want me to do with my life? Whatever your situation, he may have put a specific burden for a specific group of people on your heart. Well, this is your time to go. Go, go and get involved. Maybe it's a short-term mission thing with OM or Open Doors or whatever organization. But it starts by us being obedient and open and sensitive to the voice of the Spirit and obedient to his leading. Remember, blocked paths are sometimes new opportunities that come from the Holy Spirit as he opens another area for us. But if we're open and obedient to his voice, we will know the empowerment of the Spirit helping us to be his witnesses. And that's the key. That's the key because it's not about us. It's not about my strength. It's not about what I can do. It's about his strength. It's about his leading. It's about his guiding. It's about his empowerment. We don't have to be super spiritual, all got it together, lives for God to use us. He'll just take us as we are. And God will lead us to have those one-to-one -one conversations with people as we ask him to do that and ask him
to open up the hearts of our listeners to receive the message. Yes, opposition will come. But we need to know that the Lord is with us and that he will help us despite the opposition and will be working with us and with his power enabling us as he transforms the lives of those around us. We are a church with new opportunities. Let us pray that we will seize them with all our might. Amen.